0: Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Nick Hobson, Chief Behavioral Scientist at Emotive Technologies on the topic of behavioral science within the enterprise and making sense of that human behavior. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is Nick Hobson, Chief Behavioral Scientist at Emotive Technologies, a columnist and contributing editor at Inc. Magazine, and the Global Director of Behavioral and Data Sciences at Potential Project. Welcome, Nick. Hey, Christian. Thanks Thanks for having me. Could be. Did I miss any other titles? Or there there are there three or four no, other things? You're doing in your no, no, that's
1: that's that's <laughs> it. A father, a father of two young girls. That's there. perhaps the most important, but is not of on course. my that Yeah,
0: of course. Yeah, it's uh it's funny. I mean, I I do the like the same thing because I'm I sit on the board. I'm an advisor to a couple of different startups. I have all, all that stuff, and and I often forget now. My my kids are all out of the house. They're all adults <laughs> and moved away, forgotten about me. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I just you know, cry a little bit at night. It's like <laughs> my kids were my best friends, so it's uh, it was hardest on me. My wife's like, "Get over it."
1: Yeah, <laughs> but then you get you get the grandkids in the in the second time. Of around, course, right? that's Hopefully. right. It's all started
0: up. Well, this is a we're talking today is a great topic about behavioral science within the enterprise, and specifically about making sense of human behavior by applying the principles of science. And and this it really is a great opportunity to do to delve deep into that integration of organizational behavior behavior science and that business domain because there's so much as we were kind of talking about before we started recording you know this has been i almost made that switch from an mba over to an maom so a master's in organizational management so this is a topic that i've been really personal interested in i i always refer to myself as a leadership development junkie Mm. Because a lot of this stuff, so reading a lot of the books, I'm uh, I'm am a fan of um, like the uh, 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 first change all the rules is my favorite book, mm-hmm. a management mm-hmm. book that's kind of personifies my style of management, um, and, and which which is a great combination of talking to people, having that re- personal relationship with your direct reports, and then also being very driven towards. Uh, the, the you know, what are our OKRs? What are our objectives and key results uh, around those things and having healthy conversations around those things? But yeah, well, yeah. maybe we could start with your background. Tell us more about what you're doing in Emotive and Potential Project and elsewhere.
1: Yeah, so I, maybe just a little bit of a preamble I, I was trained as a social psychologist and neuroscientist. Uh, And then when I left academia, I decided very intentionally to sort of rebrand myself into a behavior, quote-unquote, behavioral scientist. Um, But really, it's all the same thing. It's it's whether it's you call yourself a psychologist or or a behavioral scientist or a behavioral economist. Essentially, what you're doing is you're looking at human behavior or human mindset, human psychology. And through the use of different tools of science and the scientific methodology, you're trying to understand why humans do what they do or why they feel the way they feel and how that ultimately in our world, how that impacts business outcomes. Um, and in, in, the, in, the, in the context of, of, of working with clients, the more you can understand why a human does what they do. Uh, the the better you're off, you are to to hopefully optimize and and nudge. That's a word that I'll probably use on a few occasions. Nudge a a an individual or a group of people in a particular direction that you'd like them to head in, um, for the benefit of. business for the benefit of of the end user for the benefit of hopefully everyone that it's a win-win situation Uh, but that's not how um i'm not really answering your question i went from from really studying the the fundamentals of human psychology in the mind and brain and then decided just because of conversations i had with past collaborators and co-authors in my academia days to go into the world of of work the workplace um, so that's my that's my first love is h- how do we use behavioral science psychology to um, improve team dynamics, to improve decision making within within the organizations, um, and and uh, and within leadership and leadership development as well. So I'm glad to hear you're interested in that, Christian, because I can certainly delve into that. Um, Another another interest is is on the let's say like CX side or customer experience and and how how we can use uh, certain principles of of psychology to uh, understand the customer experience uh, to understand what are the needs of, of a customer and and how we can direct a certain you know, brand strategy and CX strategy that's that's in line with what a customer truly really needs and wants and how you can deliver to the, deliver on, on those needs. Uh, and that's kind of that's mostly what I'm doing with uh, you mentioned emotive. So uh, under emotive we have Apex um, Apex Score and Apex, as we like to think of it, is is really reinventing NPS or Net Promoter Score, which many people probably have heard. And I can go into how uh, how much I hate NPS and why it's terrible. Um, but that's a good use case or a good example of where we can use a little bit of science, a little bit of behavioral science in particular, to uh, to measure, track, and understand people's emotions, people's thoughts, people's motivations, and then do something or take some action on that information or insight or intelligence you're gathering from that from that data. Anyways, whether that answered your question, I do not know. But let we yeah. could dig into it all.
0: Well, I, and there's a lot there. And you're talking a lot about the external, that you know, the customer experience and the designing your strategies, building your strategies around what you understand about that relationship. I mean, there's so much talk about you know, in the internal focus right now, about in the employee experience. And, you know, EX, EXP, the employee experience platforms are out there. Of course, I, you know, I, I work within the Microsoft ecosystem. They're talking a lot about, about that. They've got a whole new swath of products under the Microsoft Viva suite mm-hmm. of tools, which are mm-hmm. very disparate solutions, but all covering different facets of EX. Yep. And but the key to all of that, it's uh, uh, while it's cool to see, hey, cool little tool that does these neat features and gives me insights, but it does come back to kind of what I where I started. I bet it's about having conversations with people. It it doesn't remove that, and maybe we delve into this. The the mm-hmm. I think it's the psychological blocker that so many managers that people have, mm-hmm. where they want the tool to do all the work. where so much this technology cues you up to have better conversations, but you still need to have those people interactions. You can't remove the people interactions
1: from any of this. No, yeah, and that's great. It's very top of mind for me. I've written a couple pieces just this week. Uh, um, One of them was all around, uh, I'm looking at the title now, it's the working title anyways, A Behavioral Scientist's Plea for Building Better EX Strategy. Hmm. Um, and in that I talk about what is, first of all, what's with the experience? Why are we all talking about experiences all of a sudden? And I can I can come back to that. Uh, but the second one, which was uh, to your other point there, like we have this kind of flawed assumption that if we just throw more technology at it, new sort of these newfangled tools and and productivity and collaboration tools that that we could just rely, rely and then ultimately end up over relying on them when we really forget that they're there as just that a tool. And that at the end of the day, it's still humans interacting with humans, no matter how advanced our technologies get. We have millions of years, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of years of, you know, what was early ancestors to, to early humans. And so we can't discount that because that's, all of that is has shaped who we are as a, as a species today, how we operate, how we achieve certain desired outcomes, whether for ourselves or as in or as 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 part of a collective as part of a group. So just because in this last little blip in the evolutionary scale, we have these really great you know products and tools, um, we can't forget that, like you said, we're we're human at the at the end of the day,
0: yeah. and and, and it will take at least another. 5 to 7 years for ai to be able to replicate all of that so we can truly just sit back and do nothing and let the tools that's right i was going to say with
1: one caveat five to seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah depending on the on the speed of these uh, you know the latest gpts maybe maybe we'll get to a point where uh, where there's there's a, a total rewriting of the of the rules but that you know it, still it, time will tell it's funny. I,
0: I was having so about ten years ago. was at I spoke at an event in Helsinki, uh, Finland, and afterwards went out and had uh, uh, you know uh, deep uh, philosophical discussions in a pub. Uh, was got in an argument with uh, a, a young man who was uh, very much focused on uh, AI and and was was uh, a very smart individual. was was way ahead of most people in the information management space was thinking about that world but he foresaw a future of ai where humanity would live in the laps, uh, lap of luxury while uh, you know robots and ai would go and kind of do all those things and my response hmm. was you don't know human behavior um like it it will it may be that for some but that'll be a very small percentage and it's not going to stop a lot of work, anyway. So I took the very pessimistic. obscene Terminator dozen times. I mean, come on, <laughs> we know how yeah. it's
1: going to. It's going to end up. But well, Freud, I, just to, just to hold you on that, the, that's okay. Like, um, yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not uh, uh, quick to 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 quote Freud uh, because he was mostly a quack on on cocaine, and yet he was the founding father of of psychology and psychoanalysis. Um, but he had some really great things to say, and one of the things he did say is like something along the lines of love and work, work and love. That's all. He he basically summed up this this idea that we have two fundamental needs or motivations to to love or to belong and and to be loved and to work. So I think work, the idea of work, and there's fascinating like kind of anthropological and and um, archaeological evidence looking at labor or. What we call work today, like what that would have been for early hominids and, and Homo sapiens, and that whole sort of history of of work and labor through through to um, hunter gatherers and then and then farming and, and the agricultural revolution, and no matter which way you you cut it, we do have this this deep deep psychological neurobiological would be at that level um, to to work and to to expend effort on on things. Well-
0: it, you so I, i've got examples in my personal life i had my college roommate a close friend named one of my boys after him um drank himself to death and the, the number one problem that he had is that he when he first he retired when he was like 34 he you know struck it rich did very mm. well in high tech and and i kept saying it's like you're you're gonna i know you like you have to stay busy you're mm. gonna go crazy out mm. there and it was detrimental to his health and uh, uh, then you, but you also see, and uh, I, mean, I have a lot of personal connections, people that retire and find themselves again, going crazy. Like, what does it mean to not do anything? And so what they do is they get themselves engaged in other work-like activities. They, they volunteer, or they, they find some other part-time work. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, human, I know myself, I, I'm, I don't, I don't think I, I don't recognize the 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 term, you know, a uh, uh, retirement. I don't see mm-hmm. that in mm-hmm. the future. It's gonna the nature of you know what I do. I'll be much more selective. I'll take longer vacations uh, mm-hmm. in between, but I know me. I know that I need to stay busy. That I need to be actively
1: engaged in something.
0: Yes, learning, and to... learning, and sharing. My
1: my experience. That's right. Yeah, and there's there's good there's good evidence, both anecdotal and empirical, uh, that's summarized in um, the book "The Second Mountain" by David Brooks. And he he basically talks about like when you're in your young adulthood, you're you're on your first mountain, which is the you're overly ambitious and you're striving and and you want to make a certain level within the. Within the say corporate hierarchy or within the business world, and once you achieve that, you sort of ask yourself what's next, and that obviously that not obviously but that sometimes coincides with like midlife crises. And what he says uh, and argues for is that the next is your second mountain, which comes in the form of coaching and mentoring, um, and and bringing up the, the 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 next generation of 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 people. And the other the other thing I wanted to to comment on is is. We have to we have to really sort of challenge our assumptions when we talk about work, and I think you're you're hitting on you're kind of hitting on that chord, because as w- the way that we see work today is not how work has been for the majority of of human existence, and I'm kind I'm kind of going yeah. back to this evolutionary timescale, yeah, yeah. um, but when we worked, you know, quote unquote worked back in the back in the day of of early um, human human living what was that? Well, that was feeding ourselves and our family and our tribe. And that was a a collective effort to, to not just survive, but to thrive. And there's, there's, so we can't really just turn that off, that that need to contribute that need to, to be of of service. Um, Because that's really what we're doing when we're going to work now. Um, so there, there is, there is this bit of a, I don't know, like a a, 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 how do we square the circle between what we're meant to do when it comes to our work versus what m- modern work is the nine to five. And and those two things are, are sometimes very different. Yeah.
0: Well, that, that, and that's why you also, I've got a good friend um, who is been in tech, but he just was drawn towards the woodshop. And, mm-hmm. and creating things with his hands like my my hobbies are are similar to that. i love fishing and gardening you know just very kind of fundamental skills learned as a kid yeah. uh, both of those things and have a love for both of those things and yeah and, and i often think about that like uh, so a lot of us that work in tech have that fantasy of just abandoning it all going <laughs> yeah, <off the laughs> yeah um, community living Yeah, sustenance living but yeah but like I lived in my last town that I lived in there was the community garden that you can Mm -hmm. go and pay into small fee but then go in and do that and then they would just share it was it was an incredible opportunity there if you have it you know close to you to, to do a community garden and a lot of the ways that they do that is they'll concentrate on different things and then share their abundance with each other and uh yeah. it's just a great way to get variety and help towards that communal central purpose but it uh but again i think it meets a need i mean i look at a lot of when we talk about maybe have you give the webster's dictionary definition of behavioral science and how it fits into modern enterprise but but a lot of the when i think of that is again going back when i i simplify it oversimplify it by saying conversations with people i think of that as the fundamental building blocks to understand what's mm-hmm. happening in a team within an organization mm-hmm. is through those conversations mm-hmm. to understand the cultural you know uh, uh stones that the, the the team that the business is built you know uh, the foundation of the the team is built around yeah. um comes through those those conversations and understanding the those what are the the individual motivations what are our shared purpose, our our goals and and, and purpose. That's why I'm a big believer in, you know, I I spent the first half of my career in building project management organizations, and now you've got tools, OKR tools, and things Mm -hmm. that are out there to help organizations align. But again, these are tools that help you track and measure those things you still, as an organization, have to come up with. What are those things that we're striving for?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe to answer your your first question of of what what the hell is behavioral science, um, I had a show uh, that I once had, and I and I still refer to it this way. It's all just a bunch of bs um, but the good kind of bs. and then i'll I'll take that further to say that my goal in the work that I do is to bring um, bs or behavioral science into business success. So there's just a bunch of bss floating around everywhere. <laughs> But what, so what is it really? It's, 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 a, it's a small and still fledgling growing field within, within industry and various industries that borrows from, uh, from academia in research in, in, in academia. So behavioral science, you can kind of think of it as a collection of, of sciences, which are the uh, social and personality psychology, organizational psychology and management leadership psych, um, economics, behavioral um, uh, macroeconomics in particular, and then also some people get into more like cognitive science and cognitive neuroscience. So that's a whole other part of that field where you hear about neuroleadership and neuromarketing and neuro fill in the blank. I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts on that. But that's the kind of it's kind of, you can almost think of it as the parent or the umbrella term to refer to the collection of these of these different ways of of um, Looking at, looking at things in the world to understand people better. Um, in my work, how I approach it is, is, whether it's on kind of the customer side or the employee side, humans are humans and they just assume different roles or identities, whether they are in the role of an employee, leader, or as a customer, user, consumer. But stripped beneath those, those more superficial identities is the role of human being. And human beings, no matter where you are or, or where, <laughs> when you are, um, we all have certain fundamental realities, uh, psychological realities, and those are um, kind of three things. They call it the tripartite model of the mind. First, we have thoughts or cognitions. So we interact with our world and we process information um, as best we can. It's we're not our brains are amazing, but they're not they're not, um, they're, not they're not amazing. They're not they're not perfect. I should say. So we process the information that's cognition or thought the next is what we call affectation affect or emotions so how do we feel about about something an emotion is a particular interest to me in terms of how it drives behavior and then the third and final is is volition or intention so i had a thought i experienced a feeling and now i i will set an intention or not set an intention and it's those sort of three parts or the sequence of those three things which will lead to me choosing to act, which will lead to me having some sort of outward, outwardly noticed behavior. So that's that's for the individual. Then you take that same idea, that same logic, and you put it within a group context and that group collective dynamic, and then it gets really messy and really complex because everyone's doing, everyone's behaving in a certain way for different reasons. You may be more uh, motivated by a thought, by that sort of just basic cold, functional, rational calculation of an idea. Whereas I, in that same room, that same context, that same environment, I may be more motivated by how I'm feeling at that moment. Maybe I'm stressed, maybe I didn't sleep really well, and that's just sort of wearing me down at that particular time. And so um, we don't really, well, on the surface, we don't really know why people do what they do. We can guess, we can intuit, and sometimes we're right, oftentimes we're wrong. But that's why we have the tools of measurement and the tools of 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 other of other of um, other sort of instruments that we can use to get a little bit closer to the truth of of why humans are doing what they're doing.
0: It, yeah, that, I mean, look, that's a fascinating space. I was gonna uh, ask whether you were familiar with there's a a, a company that was started out of the uh, Seattle area um, called Pathwise, which is a leadership development. Um, it, it's funny. I have. I. I. I was going to point behind me, but I've moved the bookcase, and the book is in a yeah. box somewhere. But I have. Uh, I, it's actually a university book. It's called Psychoanalytic Diagnosis. Mm. I remember the author, but it's. It goes through like the personality types, which is if you've never done that kind of study, it's it's so deeply depressing. It's so negative. All the personality types, like nobody <laughs> wants to admit that, oh, I have it. I'm high functioning, but I'm a psychotic personality. Like <laughs> nobody wants it. Or, I, or I'm an OCD personality or whatever it is, you know, yeah. what, 12 or 14 personality types, which I believe are Freudian or uh, anyway, but it's, yeah. So, but the the whole point around that is not to, given the negative of being uh, of what your personality type is, that it's to understand the various personality types. This is the, kind of the, the, what they built their leadership development program around. It's mm. grown. It's very successful. I think they've got East Coast or in the Bay Area. Mm. But but the core of it was to recognize the different personality types and styles, to recognize, and it's hard to self-identify the personality, your own Mm-hmm. um you know it, it, the, we we have that uh, and we're getting deep into you know the, to be able to identify the id you know the, your yourself um where it's it's harder to do um but once you understand your own personality traits and we have leading we have secondary and tertiary traits and mm-hmm. we're a mix mm-hmm. of all those things but we generally mm-hmm. lead with one or two very strong mm-hmm. Once we understand that and when you can begin to understand like my interaction with you, if you're one of my direct report or one of my peers, and I, I understand your personality style. And I know my personality, personality style best relates and communicates with mm-hmm. your personality style in this way. And mm-hmm. then to make adjustments around that. I mean it's incredibly powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When you can yeah. do that,
0: it's hard to do mm-hmm. that. You, it, it's it's like muscles you have to train them you have to be um you, you know uh, very intentional in your interactions be mm-hmm. looking for to try and understand that about mm-hmm. about people and mm-hmm. I, I think again i think when i think of behavioral science and within the organization that's the first thing i think of mm-hmm. i know my style i know how i work i know I, because there's some people that have not said anything wrong. They've not done anything wrong, yet they just mm-hmm. rub me the wrong way. <laughs> and once I started to understand wow. the personality styles, yeah. and I could see that, like, that's all it is. It's not anything they've done, but it's just that style. And then I could make adjustments. Sure. I, I was so much more productive with those people once sure. I understood yeah.
1: that yeah yeah. and and so I, i've da- I've done a lot of work in in kind of personality or trait selection within the organization and leadership development. And it is, as you say, and I, I guess your listeners probably won't be surprised to hear this, but it's a billions dollar industry. Um you have it from the the biggest corporations and enterprise all the way down to startups and everything in between where and from recruitment to talent management to performance to leadership selection and coaching is everyone wants to understand. Who am I, or who's my who's my new recruit, my new candidate, or who's this leader coming up, so that we can staff teams better, so that we can put a certain per, uh, this person in this particular role because there's a better fit between that style of personality and the work that's required of him or her. I mean, you name the use case, there's there's a ton. So that's great because I think it's important. I think it's important to have that knowledge within ourselves and to also have that sort of like organizational knowledge and leadership knowledge. Now on the pessimistic side, most of that stuff is junk, is rubbish. And I'm sorry (laughs) to burst anyone's bubble who may be listening (laughs) Yeah. um but that's my job as a as a scientist right so the one that Christian I think that you were referring to you said 16 is is uh probably Myers Briggs MBTI yeah.
0: well, it's all it's built around that right yes
1: yeah and that's the that's the one that was inspired by Carl Jung Jung and his okay. and his yeah. daughter and then but then of course Jung was was trained and mentored by Freud so anyways MBTI, which is, I, I was just writing a piece, another piece on this. I think it is the most um, uh, like successful in terms of the reach within modern organizations, and it dates back to this pre slash pseudoscience origin of Carl Jung, um, which not to not to again I'm I'm kind of crapping all over over the psychoanalysts, but it's not very scientific, and yet they the MBTI the Myers Briggs people whomever they are have done. A great job at branding over the decades. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: and because you know Harvard Business Review picked it up. I think half their articles reference it. You know, yeah, it's, it's
1: everywhere. It's been everywhere. around and, a long time. Yeah, and yet you have you have psychologists. So Adam Grant is a name that maybe some of your listeners have heard. Um, he's kind of one of the more bigger named behavioral scientists and business psychologists in in the field, and he has a great pod, um, not podcast, blog post where he talks about uh, MBTI or Myers-Briggs, I want to break up with you. And he goes through very, in very detail the science or the lack thereof of the Myers-Briggs and why we shouldn't be using it. So now maybe some, some of you may be wondering, like, okay, what do we use then? And the, the the tried and true, the gold standard for personality assessment is the big five or sometimes referred to as Hexaco if you want to add a sixth. But when you talk about the big five there's five dimensions and it's summarized by the acronym ocean and so those five attributes or personality style, not styles um, uh, facets is what we call them uh, are openness conscientiousness extroversion agreeableness and neuroticism so that's your ocean but each Facet has, it's a dimension. So let's, extroversion is the one that most people know. You have extroversion on the one end, and then you have introversion, and everything is represented within a normal curve or a bell curve. So most of us will be, in fact, what's called ambiverts. We are a little bit extroverted in some situations and some days, and we're a little bit introverted in others. But then you're going to have the extreme tail ends, where you have your classic extrovert, and you have your classic high introvert. So you can take the same logic and apply it to all five of those trades. And it works beautifully. It has been tested, validated, replicated. It's one of the most replicable kind of basic concepts in our field. And I'm just waiting for the day when we see much less Myers-Briggs and much more Big Five. Um, mm. But I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm hopeful, but I won't hold my breath.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. I'll have to go and try and you know, do some reading on that and and learn a bit about that. But it's but again, I, I think kind of to your point, there's there's so much content that's out there that's built around, you know, the lightweight versions of these things. Like, I the first thing that comes to mind is uh, you know Microsoft. For years, and maybe they still do it. Would follow this program with insights, and I had these little colored bricks, bricks that you know show kind of the the strength, the scoring of that, uh-huh. and the color combination. All I knew is that my color combination was kind of the opposite of the standard mm. Microsoft person, um, where I huh. was very um, you know. Uh, so I think the the like the four colors were. Um, like the, the yellow, which was the, um, performance, the, the, uh, the, uh, evangelist, it was the, mm. let me show you, let me like, you know, like, Hey, take a look at this. Mm. Um, the, the red, which was the action taker, the project manager, the, the, mm-hmm. the leader, the traditional leader, um, the blue, which was the data-driven analysis. And then the green, which was the supportive, you know, let, let me give you a hug. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And I was, I was of the scale the one up to one hundred. I was eighty two yellow, seventy eight red. I was the mm. let me show you, let me tell you, but let's go take action, person. And then it was yeah. the let me support you, and then the very tiny sliver of the uh, analysis. Because my philosophy is, I'll hire that person. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, oh. it gets at it gets at a, a really interesting point there and there's there's a good there's a good uh, line of work on this that's called the complementarity versus similarity hypothesis so if you're trying to fit the best perf- the best possible performing team do you want your let's say it's 10 people do you want your 10 individuals to be mostly the same or high in similarity or do you want those 10 people to be complementary to to one another? And that's often captured by the, you know, the the old adage you know opposites attract. Yeah. Um so what's the answer? Is it's it depends, uh, which is always the answer in, in consultant science. Consultant answer to everything. <laughs> or consultant, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh because it really, it really does. It depends on the the team, the nature of the team. Um uh, and and the the type of work and the strengths of those personalities with, within the group. Um, but there's a but there's a lot to there's a lot to chew on there. and and I think in most instances we we don't even kind of think about that stuff as as a leader or as a a business owner, let's say, or or anybody who's in charge of some direct reports and and you're putting a team together. you're you, there's there's a decision. there's a series of decisions that you can make to you know i, I mean, hopefully optimize who, who you're who you're who you're putting together and and just on the very least think about what is the work that needs to be done who are the people that are going to be doing it um, and and hopefully do it in a such way that there's the you know least amount of conflict, greatest amount of creativity and psychological right. safety and all those sorts of things.
0: Well, it, it's it's sometimes you think of this as it's a look, it's a it's a large, it's an enterprise luxury to be able to think in these terms mm-hmm. and when they go and build a lot of a lot of roles, a lot of smaller companies. I work with a lot of small to mid-sized companies where they're just happy to find somebody that has the technical capability to do the yeah. job that's open. Yeah. Like yeah. they, you know, and 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 so to to sit and say I'm gonna curate what this my organization looks like Mm -hmm. again. So I don't I don't look at it from that standpoint. I look at it more from a help me to better understand who I have, who who the the team is, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and then look at again, what does the organization need to do? How can I get best use the players that i have in my team sorry going to go with the sports analogy Mm -hmm. to accomplish the goal of the business of the team and success and that's that's the again with a lot of what microsoft is doing around their viva platform these employee experience i Mm. hear from a lot of customers that are like wow this it's all nice to have but i don't see it as business critical when Mm. when you talk about Although when you talk about making sure people are aligned on what the business goals are, the okr side of that, that's an employee experience. But it has that those more uh, you know the financial ties, the you know the the, the, the alignment pieces that are needed there. Um, I think most people do understand when you start talking about you know the 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 customer experience and the external factors that mm. they, they Understand that much more closely when they, I mean, I I hear leadership. I heard myself say this, the manager sometimes is like, mm. this is what we have to do, this is what the job is. Suck it up, like, let's <laughs> get our jobs done. Yeah, um, yeah. like, we, 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 again, we don't have that luxury of sitting here and I, 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 I slowly compiling my library, the multiple editions of first world problems that I hear from myself <laughs> and from others. Um, at the end of the day, we still need to sell product. We need to provide services, get work done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and there's going to be there's going to be different conditions which which either hinder or or you know help help deliver those 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 products and services and get and get get shit done uh, as I like to say. Yeah. How, how do you envision like
0: this space evolving over the next five to ten years? I mean, we, there's so much that's happening. I mean we've we've not even really talked about, although joking about like the AI taking over and they will take <laughs> over. We will serve our, our masters, of course. <laughs> um, it's going to happen. Um, no, but um, I mean, how do you see this space evolving and changing?
1: When you say this space, do you mean kind of the personality Behavioral specifically? Behavioral it science generally? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I just had a conversation earlier today with a, a colleague about, about that. Um, I see it going in one of two ways. Either we we do really well and we explode, or we, we wither away, um, all depending if we play our cards right. So I liken our little fields to what was happening in the 90s with design thinking, which then led to kind of like UX, which then I would argue may even kind of preempted CX and EX and all the sort of yes. experience yep. management Things completely we're agree. About these days. And I
0: was just going to bring that up earlier, uh, you know, but it, but yeah, no, completely agree.
1: Um, so it, it, I think that's a, a a good analogy or a good point of comparison because I think they did it well. And what they were able to do was to come onto the scene and say, "We have this new thing. We have this new way of thinking, uh, of understanding business needs and markets, um, and this is how we're going to." integrate it. There's a bit of a what do you call it, like a paradigm shift. And anytime there's a paradigm shift or anything time there's something new, you're gonna have a great deal of reactance or resistance to that thing. Because novelty, while it's exciting, it's also terrifying and people worry it's gonna you know, encroach on their their on their livelihood or or you know impede them in some way. But I think what design thinking did is they just made it more palatable. They demonstrated the value to the business. And they they found ways to seamlessly integrate it into, you know, the, the various parts of the business. So if we do that, if we take a page from, from that playbook, I think behavioral science can stand a chance. Where, But we, what we need to do is we need to have converse, because what I find we do is we're very insular. We're very sort of like behavioral scientists talk to behavioral scientists, and we exist within these small communities. And we go to the same conferences, and we go on the same podcasts. And I've always been a bit of... Um, not a pariah, but some, an outlier where I'm like, no, I don't wanna to talk to you guys. I know what you're gonna to talk to me about. You know what I'm gonna to talk to you about. I'm gonna go on Christian show. I'm gonna go on something that's that's still related. We're still having a, a great conversation, but it's, it's almost like, uh, if I can use the analogy of like missionary work, like I'm going out there into different regions to spread the good word of behavioral science.
0: Well, if you look at network science, so, so mm-hmm. I've been all with social collaborations, you know, collaboration technology and network science. You have community building, network builders. You have those. Mm-hmm. those that, that's where growth happens. Where you see a slight breaking apart of an, a closed network. You have one or more individuals that mm-hmm. then go and. Add and then bring in those pieces and merge and share pieces. So they're constantly yeah. pulling people away from a network as well as you mm-hmm. know adding people into other networks. i'm I mean, i often consider myself and uh, I'm a connector personality. Mm-hmm. Like I'm very much the kind of person like, oh, Nick, we just met, but as I learned about what you're doing, you know, uh, do you know this person?
1: Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm.
0: know this thing? Like I just introduced you to the, you know I, I would highly recommend go take a look at what. Pathwise is doing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, but that's something that I do to to expand that network. Because I I do the same thing. It's why I started the podcast. It's why I started doing my tweet jams was to break outside of my echo chamber yeah. and get differing opinions about things. Yeah. I, I there hasn't been a month go by my monthly tweet jams on the variety of topics where there isn't somebody with an opinion that's like. I do the kind of the, uh, uh, the, the dad Brady for the Brady bunch, you're like <laughs> I've never done that way before I have those moments. So Brady moments. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, we should,
1: we should all not, not, that I'm not, I'm not speaking in aughts, but w- we should ideally all have some, some type of, some, some motivation there. And and we can call this, call it growth mindset. Like we all want to, we should all want to learn and to expand our horizons. Um, and some of us are going to have a much higher degree of motivation when it comes to being comfortable with, with the new and, 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 and growing, whereas other people are going to be more fixed mindset, which is like, I'm I'm just happy being here. And I think this is all I need to know. Um, but for at least a good number of us, it's, uh, it's, it's a good reminder to just go out there, have conversations. So yeah, within the Within the sphere of behavioral science, that's my, my optimistic um, forecast. My less optimistic forecast is we remain insular. We remain in that behavioral science echo chamber because there's a good deal of, of, of small boutique consulting groups out there and, and and leaders within the behavioral science field that are more purist, is what I call them, or like kind of they're like behavioral science dogmatists or dogmatic and they they believe that behavioral science is the best and that the other things that are out there like UX research or market research is all is all you know rubbish and junk and that's just so foolish that's such a foolish way to look at it like behavioral science is or psychology is just one other tool among many tools that we can use and we should be ready to deploy it When the use case makes sense to do so, but there's going to be plenty of times where it doesn't make sense for behavioral science to come, for a behavioral scientist or a behavioral science team to come on to do the work. Instead, give it to the creative types, give it to the UX researchers, give it to the anthropologists or the technologists, Um, and that's kind of the way. So if we if we stay purist and if we're too dogmatic, then we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot and we won't be successful as a field.
0: You know, I often say it's like you cannot measure what does not move forward. I mean, you have to experiment, you have to try things. And I and I would even argue, you know, looking at the culture of an organization, whether you're inward looking at the employee experience, you're outward looking mm. at, the, at the customer experience around those things, you've got to be willing to try some things, not just accept the status quo. If you're getting feedback that things aren't A plus plus, you know, 100% on every score that's out there. I mean, going back to NPS, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's always opportunities to improve things. Things don't stay standstill. It's you're on an escalator moving up or moving down.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
0: so I think like if you can look at and try some things, work with behavioral scientists, work with, you know, the uh, the UX experts and uh, those different things, take what's good from those things, learn, try some things and improve upon It's, it's yeah. I'm a marketer fundamentally, I look at A-B testing. Mm-hmm. You try two things, one of them's gonna outperform the other one, lean more on the thing that's performing well and then do another A-B test, try some yeah. more things,
1: add some other pieces in there. Yeah, absolutely. And even in my own work, the best projects that I've worked on um, is, is where I have collaborators from like kind of more design thinking or product design people uh versus my fellow behavioral scientists because i've i've learned something new and i'm like oh that's cool i'm going to add that to my. so now i become a more well-rounded professional i'm that much better to bring value to my next client engagement because i know how to do this other thing that otherwise i wouldn't have i wouldn't have been able to know how to do um so that's the way well nick really
0: appreciate your time i i honestly i i say that uh I'd love to have you back maybe in a couple months and we can go into a slight variation on this. Um, so I'll, I'll ping you afterwards. We'll we'll get something set up. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. You know, maybe towards the end of the year. I uh, would love to go into some of the other questions that I had lined up for you. Yeah, I think we scratched the surface. I think there's a yeah. lot we could oh, go well, into. It's a great topic. And so for, for folks that want to find out more, I mean, if they want to get in touch with you, What's the best way to reach you? Where would you point somebody that wants to find out more about this topic?
1: Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm just Nick Hobson um, there. PhD, I think, maybe in there, but they can ignore that. So Nick Hobson. And then we're also at apexscore.ai is where they can learn more about the the APEX tool, um, which is the measurement and, in particular, looking at CX, EX, and the sort of intersection between those two those two worlds so yeah they can find me in those two places let's say
0: excellent and of course we'll have the links that are out on the blog and out in the podcast as well so well nick really appreciate your time today thanks christian it's a pleasure you've been listening to the collab talk podcast new episodes are published weekly and you can find us on spotify apple podcast iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms thanks for listening